and welcome to this special Pride edition of Identity Architects. I'm your host Ben Chiquetti and for this episode I had the opportunity to talk with Lucy McKillop, Joint CEO at Outvertising and Global Brand Director Cara at Dentsuit International. Lucy and I dive into a ton of topics around pride, queer representation in media, queer representation in leadership and much more. Before we jump into that conversation, just a reminder to hit that subscribe button so you know when the latest episodes of Identity Architects land. But without any further delay, here's my chat with Lucy. Today, I'm thrilled to be joined by Lucy McKillop, Joint CEO at Outvertising and Global Brand Director at Carrot Dentsu International. Lucy, welcome to the podcast. Hi, thanks for having me. So before we get started with the full questions, Lucy, can you give us a quick introduction to yourself and what you do at both Advertising and Dentsu International? Sure. So um, at Dentsu, I am brand director for Cara globally, a big old media agency. Um, in fact, probably one of the biggest out there. And I am in charge of being the kind of brand custodian. That's what I like to call my day job. And then my gay job is being the joint CEO for Outvertising, um, which is the advocacy group for queer people working in the marketing and advertising industries in the UK. Um, And we exist to make the industry completely LGBTQIA plus inclusive. I love that. I love that. So as usual, we'll kick things off with a series of quick fire questions just to get to know you a little bit better. So for yourself, what is your earliest memory of advertising? God, I I was thinking about this and I honestly, I don't know what my earliest memory of advertising is. Um, I think it's probably something brilliant and timeless like... um, the Mars or is it no what was it the red car and the blue car had a race I can't remember if it was for yeah it's for Milky Way right yeah I love that I think I think so Milky Way it was one of those chocolate bars um but I think that was probably released around the same time as the kind of most commonly known first ever queer advert was released in the US um which was for Ikea um, and I think that was about 94. I mean, you can check, um, you can check the years. Um, but yeah, basically it's a brilliantly kind of like downplayed gay couple walking around, um, talking about the type of furniture they like. And it's probably some of the most, um, kind of authentic and, um, understated queer advertising you'll see, mm. um, and I absolutely love it. So it's one to definitely look up if um, if you want to. <laughs> yeah, I love that. I'm going to have to look that up. And I guess on a similar theme, kind of what's your earliest memory of LGBTQ plus representation in media, as in TV, movie, music, advertising? Well, I mean, it's different for different channels, right? So I think my musical taste as a young child um, was pretty queer. (laughs) Um, A major obsession with Culture Club and uh, George Michael and Wham. Um, But I think if we're talking about TV, I remember when Queer as Folk came out 
um, and being not allowed to watch it, mm. <laughs> desperately wanting to watch it. Um, and then, yeah, thinking about kind of when it became a little bit more ubiquitous, I think things like the L word, um, obviously that's a bit later, but yeah, I think probably the earliest memory would be dancing around my lounge to Boy George in Culture Club, but not really knowing, obviously, that he was queer. But then obviously with hindsight, you kind of realise that how could how could people not know i mean it's mm. mad yeah yeah i mean it's incredible and obviously you know so much has we've come so far since then right as you kind of talk about with so many shows movies kind of with some great kind of mm. uh, representation today mm-hmm. but you know back in the day it was it was definitely the 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 exception not the rule i was trying to remember what i think my earliest memory of lgbt yeah, me. i think it was uh the julia roberts film um my best friend's wedding Oh, like wow. her editor is gay in that. Yeah. And I remember going to watch it. I think I watched it with my mum and my sister. And I think that's my first memory of seeing a gay person depicted on TV or movies. How did um, that feel? I think at the time, I didn't think much of it. I think he had a great representation. Um, I think I, you know, I would have been very young. I would have been kind of 10 or 11 at right. the time. So I was still incredibly young, but I don't, it didn't seem unusual uh, it was a very positive representation. It was a very positive character. So I think yeah. that's really great for that time, especially, you know, with mid nineties yeah. where, you know, there wasn't great depiction. So, um, but yeah, I was thinking about it over the weekend. I'm pretty sure that would have been my first kind of memory. memory. Of I think it's really interesting, right? Cause we talk a lot about um, you can't be what you can't see um, in, in, in advertising. And we talk a lot about, making sure that, you know, there is this kind of role modeling going on um, from the kind of senior people working in advertising so that the younger generations know that they can proudly be their whole selves at work. But when you think about this idea of, you know, seeing people um, in kind of music, film, TV, you asked what my earliest memory is, but in terms of my identity, in terms of being a bi woman or being um you know open to kind of um same-sex relationships um my you know my kind of feeling of being of of seeing someone in tv film music really came from um seeing people and and it's more aesthetic than actual identity but like seeing Missy Elliott, who was like this kind of, you know, big kind of slightly kind of mask woman um, owning owning who she is and not really giving uh, two hoots. I'm going to try not to swear. <laughs> one of the hardest things that I will achieve today um, about what people think about her. And, you know, Annie Lennox wearing this kind of amazing bleach blonde, like cropped hair. And yes, you know, these could be seen as being kind of stereotypes of of what you might expect a kind of bi or lesbian woman to look like. But this idea that you didn't have to fit that norm and you could express yourself as you wanted to was really, really exciting to me. And it wasn't necessarily about their sexuality or how they identified. It was more about this idea of, 
being who you are and being proud of it. So yeah, yeah that's that's kind of that would be my kind of alternative response to that question. <laughs> yeah. I love that. And there's so much representation now, right, for, you know, I have such kind of hope for kind of, I'm going to make myself sound old when I say the youth of today, but the youth of today with things like Heartstopper and other things that kind of they can see amazing representation, they can see their love being kind of represented on TV. I think it's just incredible. So kind of I have such hope for where we're going at the moment. Um, so moving on to a bit more about yourself, uh, what was your first job in either advertising or marketing? Um, so my first job in advertising or marketing was um, for an out-of-home media owner um, called JC Deco, and I was a sales assistant. And so it was my job to do all of the kind of um, competitive analysis doing lots of admin work, you know, making sort of beginning to kind of make relationships with the people who were buying the space in, in the kind of posters around the UK. And um, yeah, I was terrible at it. (laughs) (laughs) I was was absolutely abysmal. Um, Unbeknownst to me, um, I had ADHD, I have ADHD. And I've only been diagnosed in the last couple of year, years. And um, so my ability to, uh, you know, have a kind of reliable um, flow of support for the team was, you know, practically zero. Mm. Um, and also it didn't really give room for much creativity, in my view, which is something that I'm really quite good at. So it was uh, it was a great it was a great lesson in finding a job through necessity and then using that as a jumping off point to to the route that um more suited my skill set and disposition (laughs) amazing and so I guess thinking about that kind of first job and you just starting out what would you tell yourself now if you could kind of tell your younger self something as they were starting in their career I would tell myself to be more confident and apply for roles in more like more creative um arenas so Mm. and not to get not to get impatient and not to buckle you know like it it, it, you know keep applying for for jobs at creative agencies keep applying for jobs at production houses keep applying for jobs in the music industry keep applying for jobs um in in telly because you know, I did one or two applications, got nowhere, thought that I was, you know, never destined to work there and then sort of took the easy route and, and got a kind of, you know, low low grade um, kind of entry level sales role. Now, for people who are great at sales, that's that's brilliant. <laughs> but I'm not that person. Um, so I think that, um, yeah, if I could go back, if I could tell myself something um, that yeah i would i i would uh i would definitely say stick at stick at applying and 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 getting into a kind of an arena that um that allows you to be creative from the get go yeah i love that i love that and then i guess thinking about today and where you are today what do you love about what you do at both advertising and density so i'll start with my day job so my i i love so i love I love writing. 
Um, I love the strategic side of what I do. So I love thinking about how to reach the people I need to reach with the, with the content and the work and the, um, the projects that I'm in charge of. Mm-hmm. So I'll, you know, we all know what advertising marketing is all about, right? It's about reaching your audience in a compelling and um, attention kind of grabbing way, or at least that's my definition. Hundred <laughs> percent. Um, so, you know, when you're working as a B two B marketer, it's maybe not as sexy as you know if you're working for like a big kind of brand or whatever. But it tests me, and I like the fact that it's not easy. And I like the fact that there are more layers that you have to get through. There are, there's a deeper understanding of people that you need. And I also love that with all of that in mind, the truths of brand defense and brand kind of um, growth remain the same. Make sure, you know, I'm constantly talking about how we need to keep iterating what our brand stands for, how we do that. It needs to trickle down through everything that touches every kind of, you know, brand touch point possible. Um, so, yeah, there are lots of things that I love about my day job. I also love my team. It's like we, we're, a, we're, a tr- we're a kind of truly post-pandemic team, I guess. Like some of us are in... Uh, in Texas, some of us are in New York, some of us are in London, um, and we call ourselves the Wolf Pack because <laughs> 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 we're all like a weird kind of group of lone wolves um, b- brought together. And uh, you know, we we manage we manage to be this kind of like tight knit team in spite of being uh, kind of spread around the world, which I love. Um, and then in terms of advertising, I think, I think it's the longest standing job I've had, but okay, maybe, maybe I'm a year off, maybe I'm a year off it being the longest standing job I've had. Um, but essentially working with advertising has given me confidence in the way, in, in ways that I never knew was possible. Um, you know, in the time that I've been working with advertising, starting off as someone who sort of joined as a bit of an observer and tagged along to meetings not really knowing what the heck was going on um to you know running the comms for the organization and then eventually moving into the kind of joint ceo role it has allowed me to kind of flex and learn things that i didn't you know didn't don't didn't and don't really get view of in my day job so you know things like the fiduciary and legal side of things things like the finance side of things I mean sure I run a budget but you know understanding the ebbs and flows of a kind of P&L and the, the kind of tax side of things like quite boring processy things um that I find really fascinating um and really it has made me understand that I am I'm a pretty good general manager and is kind of helping me pave my path through my career. So I'm 40 now. And really you think about when you're in your 
sort of twenties, thirties, it's all about getting really good at your craft. But when you get to my, I think, I think when you get to my age, once you kind of honed a craft and you know what you're doing, there's this expectation that you kind of understand what the next 15 years of your career is going to be like 15, 20 years of your career is going to be like. And a lot of the time people are promoted into jobs that they're actually not very good at. <laughs> like when you get good at one thing, they promote you and you're like, all oh, right, I have to do all of this stuff that I didn't do before. And now I don't know what to do. So with advertising, I have been allowed to, to grow. Um, so that's the personal side of advertising. And then, you know, it boils down to the work that advertising does is like insanely important. It's the most, it's the most important thing that I do on a daily basis. Mm-hmm. It's literally about defending people's lives and people's livelihoods and people's right to be themselves. And, you know, I think we are all aware of the increased levels of hatred um, in legacy media, um, particularly in the US and the UK at the moment, you know. um, And so the work that we're doing at advertising, it's more important than it has ever been in the time that I've been working at advertising. So just three years before um, 2018, when I joined um, advertising, the UK was listed as number one in the ILGA Europe kind of league tables. That's the International Lesbian, Gay, Bisexual, Trans and Intersex Association. Mm -hmm. And they essentially um, rank the European countries in terms of their kind of... um, inclusion of the queer community and so yeah three years before I joined advertising we were number one the UK felt like um, a kind of easy place to be as a queer person today we have dropped to 17th position and um, the ILGA puts this down and I'm quoting here puts this down to widespread hate speech from politicians religious leaders right-wing organizations and media pundits you know this is uh this is a this is a crisis and it is a and it is a um it's a kind of seemingly organized um campaign of hate And so what we are doing at advertising, making sure that the queer community remains visible in one of the most um, omnipresent kind of media uh, and and, and omnipresent kind of forms of content that people consume on a daily basis um, is more important than it's ever been. 100 percent. 100%. 100%. It's, I mean, it's scary, right? How far, you know, I think back to kind of five, six years ago, and it felt like as a community and as a country, we'd come so far um, in our representation. And it really feels like we're taking, we're dangerously taking steps backwards um, because of kind of, as you said, I think a lot of it comes down to the way that social media has been used to just kind of spread kind of negative opinions Um about the community and then that's being picked up by media that right and now editorial is filled with 
you know, hate and opinion around people's right to exist. Like, that, that is the thing that genuinely blows my mind. Mm. Like, we are having a debate about people's right to be who they are. I just, I just find it completely bonkers. Yeah. And when, like, you know, when I have had conversations with friends who are like, oh, I don't understand this non-binary thing, or like, why, you know, why is there so much noise going on about this? And I'm like, if you don't understand it, just put your hands up in the air and say, live and let live. People just want to live peace- peacefully. Yeah. <laughs> like people just want to, people just want to crack on with their day, be able to go for a coffee, be able to hold hands with the person that they love in the street, be able to wear what they want, be able to look how they want to look, have sex with who they want to have sex with. Like we are out here just trying to be ourselves why does that have to take up something like 30 articles a day in the front, front quarter of this year of, of kind of like barrage of negative editorial content about, you know, people's gender or people, it's, it's, it's wild. And I think yeah. that maybe answers one of your questions <laughs> that's coming up about what keeps me awake at night. That is what keeps me awake at night. Yeah. I can imagine. And I guess, yeah, that does, it fits very well into kind of the next question, which was, you know, what keeps you awake at night? But I guess the flip side of that is, and I can feel the passion obviously you have yeah. for what you're talking about. What gets you motivated in the morning? What gets me motivated in the morning? Um, knowing I can make a difference makes me motivated in the morning. When it feels like the problem is too big. I feel quite disillusioned. Um, so when I feel like I am able to make tangible difference to the problem at hand, that is when I am leaping out of bed. I mean, let's be real. I never leap out of bed. But <laughs> <laughs> my cat is too cute and snuggles too much in the morning for me to leap out of bed. But um, I definitely feel that kind of steely grit and determination and like I'm ready to kind of tackle things when I know that I can make a difference. I love that. That's inspiring. Um, that's awesome. <laughs> so last of our kind of quick fire questions, if there was a song that was the soundtrack to your life, what would it be? I think this is a really mean question. <laughs> And I think you should change it to if there were three songs, because one okay. song cannot be a soundtrack. One okay, let's go with three. <laughs> right. I'm so glad that I managed to challenge the brief. Um, <laughs> so first one would be, I'm thinking of you, Sister Sledge. Nice. Um, first of all, because it's one of the best disco tracks ever written. And also because it's just, one of the most lovely sentiments you can possibly have is mm. thinking of you. And really, you know, that is the crux of the allyship that we want people to show and that we are advertising show for the community, by the community, right? Um, so that's my number one. Yeah. Number two would be Rocket Man by Elton John, because Amazing. 
it's literally one of the best songs ever. I don't even need to explain it. 100%. And Agreed. then finally, <laughs> I'm going to go for Britney Spears' Toxic uh, because it never fails to make people to get up and dance. Uh, never fails to make people get up and dance when it goes on. And also, yeah. my son plays the guitar and he can play that on the guitar and we do a lovely duet to it. <laughs> I love that. I love that. That's awesome. Well, all three of those will get added to our Spotify playlist of all the songs that people have chosen. So um, you can go and listen and enjoy those. That'd be <laughs> awesome. Brilliant. Well, moving on to kind of the more uh, media questions. So yeah. I first became aware of advertising about 18 months ago. Um, I think I was purposely looking for a community to be part of in the kind of the advertising industry that I'm in, um, join the Slack community and the kind of an admirer of everything that um, advertising is doing. But for those who may not be as familiar, and I know we've talked about advertising a little bit previously, but could you tell us a bit more about advertising and its areas of focus? For sure. So I think I've said before what our kind of, you know, reason for existing is we exist to make the UK advertising and marketing industry completely LGBTQIA plus inclusive. And the way that we do that is we kind of split our organization into three squads. So the first squad is people, the second squad is output, and the third squad is kind of operations, or I like to call it getting your house in order. Um, and so for the people side of things, we work with organizations on um, allyship training, role model training. We've got the mentoring scheme that we've run every year for the last four or five years. Um, and we also work with ERGs um, and um, put on socials. And we also put on advertising live, which is a big kind of pinnacle moment in our calendar um, where we get as many queer people and allies together in a room and um, we essentially kind of like talk about all of the kind of current topics um, that are kind of you know burning on our lips and also think about how we can kind of move the industry forward for queer inclusion. Um, in terms of output so this is very much focused on um, how we can make ads more inclusive so literally focusing on the content that our industry produces um and that is that's actually what the organization was originally set up to focus on um we you know pulled together lots of um uh, research in the advertising guide um Think there are two and a half versions of it and you can download them on our website um, which talks about the importance of inclusion how to do it well um, now th those guides are still quoted by people today even though the last one was released in 2018 2019 <laughs> um, so they are pretty out of date so one of the things that we're really excited that we're going to be releasing um at Advertising Live later this year is a new piece of research that we're working on with um, YouGov called the Advertising Consumer Report. And it's exactly that. It's looking at um, queer consumer behaviour. So um, our brilliant head of um, uh, intelligence, 
called Kendra Rogers. She is heading up that project. And honestly, she and I talk about how our presentation styles are really different. <laughs> like she's um, so brilliant at kind of, um, you know, sort of deep diving into facts. And so when that piece of research is, is released, she's your woman. You want to get her into, <laughs> into your organization to talk about the kind of really interesting insights that are being um, kind of unearthed in that data. The one that I can remember is um, lesbians love iron brew. Wow. <laughs> and they're, and they're, but that's like, that is literally a, that is a, that, that is a kind of like cherry on the cake of the kind of huge mountain of information that we have. Um, but yeah, like lesbians in the UK, index way higher than the national representation um against um liking iron brew there you go that's amazing <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's, it is amazing and gay men i think love apple products uh, well i'm on a macbook looking at my ipad so yeah. clearly i'm living the stereotype is that do you think that's is does that does diet that, coke did you say yeah diet coke I also drink Diet Coke, yeah. so I could not be any more stereotypical, clearly. <laughs> yeah, okay, so maybe maybe I am coming a close second to Kendra's ability to remember facts. You there you go. Three really good ones there. <laughs> That's awesome. That's really cool. I'm looking forward to seeing the kind of the final report when it comes yeah, yeah. out. It will be really interesting, actually. And, you know, the, the, um, the idea and the kind of desire is to work with these brands and say, look, you've got this insight um about you know your your consumers you, you know you have more more queer consumers against you know national representation so talk to them and talk mm. to us and let's see how we can kind of make your content um kind of speak to them a bit better um oh yes yeah, sorry I'm, I'm going around the houses here and uh you were asking me about how how we kind of organize ourselves and so that's about the out, out that's about the output and then the final piece is our opera, op, operation side of things so as we've grown um we have um more of a need for things like really sexy stuff like uh like platforms and 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 you know CRM um so so actually that's my primary focus is thinking about how we make sure our our organization is is kind of set up for success and the kind of process of onboarding people and you know welcoming new volunteers into the fold um goes smoothly and everyone is kind of you know is feeling good and happy about how it's all organized um, so yeah, I mean, there's obviously a lot more like things like funding and commercial piece and, um, you know, the legal side of things, but I'm not going to touch on that <laughs> <laughs> quite enough, quite enough kind of like long, boring words, uh, for now. <laughs> that's awesome. No, that's awesome. That's, uh, I think what you're doing there and what advertising doing is amazing. Um, mm. and I'm kind of excited <laughs> to see more to come. Yeah. Um, obviously, it's the start of Pride Month. We're in June. So from your perspective, um, why in 2023? We've talked a lot about kind of we came so far, but it feels like we're maybe taking steps back. Mm. Why in 2023 do you feel Pride is still so important? And yeah. what does it mean to you? 
Oh man, it's uh, pride is important, and it's not just important; it's necessary. It is an it's like an imperative because without pride, the queer community don't necessarily have the opportunity to protest, to celebrate, to um, have a kind of dedicated time and or period to feel like there's a culmination of our kind of energy and feeling, right? But I think one of the things that we talk about a lot at advertising and is something that I'm, you know, coaching other people through is that in that month, organisations can sometimes, in a very well-meaning way, expect their queer employees to perform oh it's your month so you can just come and talk to us about your lived experience um or like oh there's loads of trans hate going on in the media so we want a trans person to come and talk to us this pride month and so on the one side yes it's really important that these um opportunities are generated for the community um but I think we've hit a point now where Pride Month celebrations, and I put celebrations in quote marks, need to be backed up with tangible action. Um, so it's important because it shines a light on the community. It's important because you know, it's really important that, and, and actually I'm talking beyond Pride Month, you know, Black History Month, Women's um, History Month, you know, International Women's Day, International, you know, Trans Awareness Day. There are all of these kind of calendar moments give minority groups the opportunity to say, I am here, I am seen. Um, but... I think there is a huge amount of fatigue attached to that and performance, expected performance. So my feeling is, is that, yes, it's important, but also just tread lightly, <clears throat> tread lightly and tread carefully with your queer colleagues, because at the moment, the world is a pretty traumatic place um, for, for queer people. You know, people are thinking about moving away from the UK because it's so hateful so that's yeah that's how I feel I feel like it's it's important and we've got to do it but it has to be done in a way it allows people to not engage as well because if it's too much it's too much and people need to step back um I mean I was having a conversation with someone recently where they were feeling really angry about, you know, well-meaning kind of allyship activities, um, where someone had suggested that everyone wear bright colours to the office for the month. <laughs> and it's like, it, it, it's, it comes from a place of meaning well, 
but you think, okay, but like, what about, what about healthcare? <laughs> like, what about gender neutral toilets? What about, um, you know, mental health kind of support or therapy for everyone? Because queer, like, because the queer community, you know, talk about over-indexing against Iron Brew. Let's look at the the stats around how the queer community over-indexes in the realm of mental health. So I feel like I'm meandering off topic a little bit, something I do. <laughs> but it's important to have pride. And yes, you know, it's many things, things to many people. Celebrate pride, protest pride, be serious about pride. But if you are a if you are a kind of commercial entity and you are looking to do something around pride, make sure that you've got policy and care to back up your kind of rainbow logo. Yeah, a hundred percent. And I think it's it's a good point, right? Because you know, as we kind of hit June, we expect to kind of see just a wave of rainbow logos across our social media, our advertising and in store. Um, and what, already I, I go on. Can I just ask you something there? I think what do you, when, when you see rainbow logos, how does it make you feel? This is like a genuine point of interest for me. Yeah, we're having this conversation. So I'm the chair of our um, LGBTQ plus network here at InfoSum. And we had this conversation at a meeting we had recently. And I think when I say walk through a town and I see kind of rainbow flags up, there's definitely a feeling of being seen. Yeah. And to a degree, I think there's a feeling of safety. It feels safer yeah. somehow yeah. because yeah. you see that. But as I've got educated myself more and more, I think there's also a slight, um, I can feel quite cynical about it. And, you know, I think as we've already seen this year, some organizations are doing pride well. Like I think Absolute, I wrote a piece on LinkedIn about this. I think Absolute do a fantastic job around Pride because they yeah. back it up with various other I mean, they, they, they were one of the first brands to advertise in queer magazines like 40 yeah. years ago. So it's, yeah. it, you know, they, they, have, they have the history. So that makes sense. Yeah, 100%. But then there's others that do it badly, right? And, and unfortunately, a lot of this is coming from across the pond right now, yeah. but there's organizations that have attempted to do activities around pride. And I think the danger when you do that, and I always talk about authenticity, if you're not authentic in your support for the LGBTQ plus community, when it comes to pride, your actions won't be authentic. Um, and therefore you will pull your support very quickly at the kind of the first sign of any kind of backlash. Uh, and then you're kind of, it's a double-edged sword, right? Because then not only have you angered kind of the extreme far right that have these kind of very kind of the very vocal minority mm. but you've also then upset and disappointed the lgbtq plus community so you've yeah. kind of shot yourself in the foot twice in those situations yeah, exactly so from your perspective and the work that you do at advertising and that others do at advertising kind of what advice do you give to organizations if they are wanting to do something around pride so it's funny you should ask that uh, because we are currently preparing a statement um, that we are going to be releasing in the coming days, which essentially implores brands to stand their ground this Pride Month. Um, I think what you said about things coming from across the pond, you know, 
I think there are two examples of pride activities um, that we can take. Now, the first one is um, North Face. So they've released something. Um, I think they've got a pride line of products and they have released some content with some drag queens um, or a drag queen. I have to say I've only glanced, <laughs> glanced at the video. Um, but, um, you know, they have unsurprisingly received backlash um, for this for this content. And they're doubling down. They are, you know, they're ramping up their um their activity they are increasing the amount of product that they're putting on display and that is in stark contrast to what target have done right which is um they've received backlash for products they're being that are being sold and so they've discontinued the lines and so you think well in this scenario we need everyone to be more north face um <clears throat> so the statement is going to cover you know it's going to cover that it's going to say you know in this current climate expect to receive backlash if you are displaying a rainbow logo um make sure that you have tangible action to back that up um if you receive any backlash stand your ground double down keep doing it because you know, we have the stats that show that ultimately it doesn't matter how many people hate your brand so long as enough people love your brand. Um, and that is a quote from someone at Nike. Wow. <laughs> um, you know, after their kind of, all of the stuff that's gone on with them and, and, and the kind of hate that they've received since Black Lives Matter, etc. Um, they They basically have had this this kind of experience of yeah you do get a few people dropping away um but it's not enough to combat the people who start seeing you in a positive light and join up you know so one of the things i often think about when you see these decisions being made about companies kind of backtracking on their commitment and as i mentioned i kind of talk about kind of authenticity but i also wonder about what it says um about the representation at a leadership level mm. right? because if you have lgbtq plus and other minorities represented in your leadership teams i suspect you're more likely to stand by some of the decisions some of the marketing decisions and brand decisions that you might make especially around things like pride mm. but we still see such an underrepresentation of lgbtq plus people in leadership positions at businesses especially kind of the c-suite and board levels mm. so from your perspective how important is it that we improve the representation of lgbtq plus people in those Ooh. positions i mean representation at a c-suite level is is like gold standard in role modeling. Um, and I wish that I saw more, more queer people in really kind of senior positions um, around the industry. And also not just around the industry, but in kind of, 
senior positions in the UK generally. And I mean, it feels mad to me that, that there are still moments of like, oh, you know, this politician has come out as gay. And you're like, eh, so? <laughs> like, what? I, I, yeah, I just think, like, it feels mad that today, like, it's still a thing. Um, so it would be great if we could get to a point where, yes, people can come out because coming out is wonderful and kind of life affirming and identity euphoric and all of those things. But also to the point that like newspapers are like, oh, I don't really feel like this is a headline. <laughs> um, and the second piece to that is, I think there's a piece of research. Um, I can't remember who exactly it's by. Um, but I think it's by UM. I'm not sure. But basically it says that queer women in leadership positions are 86% less likely to come out at work than their male counterparts. And so I guess for me, the big question is not around queer representation in general, because I think that maybe this is my perception, but I think it's probably easier for gay men to come out at work. Well, it is. I mean, that's the stat. So what is it about women not wanting to come out at work? Why is there a kind of barrier? And what can we do to make it easier for there to be more queer female role models in the industry and in the country? Um, yeah, that's how I feel about it at a C-suite level. Like, it's problematic. We need to sort it out. But when you dig into it, the real problem is around queer women. Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. I wasn't aware of that stat. That's fascinating. Yeah. Um, and I think it's important that we kind of, every company is doing everything they can to kind of provide those role models as you talk about. It's that, it's that feeling of, and you mentioned it earlier, yeah. if you can't see someone else being successful as their true authentic self that looks like you, sounds like you, acts like you, then it's really hard to see yourself in that future role yeah um, and then it leads to people either not shooting for it so they're not applying for those more senior positions or they're hiding their true self at right. work and living an inauthentic uh lifestyle at the workplace where we spend so much of our time either remotely or in person we spend so much of our time in our workplace if you can't be your true authentic self the mental health drain that just comes from living that kind of inauthentic lie is exhausting totally, totally. I think that's it. I think there is like a weight of burden around, on the one hand, being your true self at work and coming out comes with the um, threat of, you know, discrimination or um, being treated differently, even if that doesn't necessarily totally um, kind of isn't totally kind of uh, viewable as discrimination or on the flip side you've got 
this kind of conundrum of not coming out and hiding your true self and the kind of oppression and sadness that that brings, right? So there has to be a world in which where there's a sweet spot where, you know, you can come out and be sure that you can be your true self and it's like wonderful and affirming and you can be that role model and you can be that kind of like, be what you can see kind of person, right? 100%. But it's a real, it it feels like that sweet spot is, is um, like, getting smaller and harder to find um and so you know we have to take the approach of safety first i think at the moment yeah i agree i agree so i guess as we wrap things up um kind of final couple of questions is there anything we haven't covered that you feel we should (laughs) or anything you just kind of want to add is there anything we haven't covered um well, what I would like to say is Outvertising is an entirely volunteer-run organisation. Um, a ragtag crew of um, wonderfully bonkers individuals um, who I adore. And, you know, we are absolutely greater than some of our parts. It is not mine, it is not anyone's it is this wonderful kind of organism that moves and shifts depending on what's needed and what's demanded of us and I'm never not in complete awe of the people that I get to work with at advertising every day so um yeah I think the thing that I haven't said is thank you to those wonderful people and if anyone listening to this wants to get involved we have um, a volunteer scheme called the advocates scheme Um, and then we also have a board that um, does the kind of operation stuff on day to day so um, yeah we have tenures so it's you know it's a constantly moving thing so there are always board positions coming up Um, but yeah we are always looking for kind of invigorated and passionate people to come and join and, and, and join join the cause i love that i love that and obviously people can head over to advertising.org to learn more about the organization exactly. join your slack community i love the slack community it's slack. brilliant the, the slack community is completely wonderful and is the brainchild of our community and culture um kind of work stream and yeah it's it's the first time we've had this ability to bring everyone who's queer working in uh, the or working in the industry um together in one in one sort of like quite low level closed community so it's brilliant yes yeah. you're absolutely right everyone should join it 100% awesome <laughs> cool so final question obviously this podcast is all about pioneers in our industry um so when you look at people you admire in the industry and people around you who would you nominate for us to interview in an upcoming episode that's a great that's a great shout okay so someone that is on my brain at the moment because i want to speak to them (laughs) um is a woman called shaka savani who is the creator or the ecd for leo burnett 
Um, and she is an, I, she's an out uh, queer woman in leadership. So she is one of the few people that I look to for um, kind of, well, mainly just in the press, to be honest, because we don't actually know each other. <laughs> but um, look to for kind of like behavioural guidance and, um, you know, aspire to be like. I love that. That's awesome. Um, yeah, I absolutely love that. Well, Lucy, thank you so much for joining us for the podcast. It's been amazing to talk to you. It's been amazing to learn more about you, about advertising, you. Um, and just to kind of discuss kind of the issues at hand right now. So thank you for joining us. Thanks so much for having me. And yeah, good luck with everything. Thanks again to Lucy for joining us on Identity Architects. It was amazing and inspiring to talk with Lucy and learn more about the incredible work the team at Advertising are doing. When it comes to positive advocacy for LGBTQ people, visibility is always so important. Visibility in media, visibility in advertising, and visibility in companies. All that leads me to do is remind you to hit that subscribe button so you know when the next episode of Identity Architects lands. But until then, thanks for listening.